Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. So for the rest of the summer, um, from now until Labor Day, uh, we're going to be looking at different psalms. Each week, we're going to look at one psalm. In the book of Psalms, sometimes called the Psalter. Um, so if you hear me say that, that's where I'm, what I'm doing. Uh, and if you grew up in the weird part of Christianity, uh, you might be familiar with someone named Salty, uh, who was a cartoon singing prayer book who was definitely weird. The book of Psalms is filled with all of the different songs that the Hebrew people wrote and sang to God. Some of them are songs for festivals, kind of like our Christmas carols. Others of them are uh, rooted in their history and remind the people of Israel what God did um, over the hundreds of years, all the way back to the time of Exodus. But when we think about the Psalms, most of the time for us, we think that it's pretty much 150 variations on the theme, praise ye the Lord. And so when I say that we're going to do a series on the Psalms, your brain probably glazes over a little bit and it's going to be, okay, great. For the next eight weeks, I'm going to get, you know, eight different reasons on why I should praise God. I get that. I understand why you would think that. I understand why sometimes I would think that. But from the get-go, one of the things that I want us to see is that that idea is a bit off, that that idea is not quite right. And part of the reason why that idea is not quite right is because we have a, a deficient view of the Psalms. Our view of the Psalms is deficient because our view of Christianity as a whole is deficient. Here's what I mean. For the most part, you and I want to go to a nice church. And when we get there, we want to sing nice songs. And then we'll listen to a nice little talk. And then we'll say hi to the nice people. And it will all be very nice. That's what we want. We want a nice church with nice songs and a nice talk and nice people. And then we'll go home and have a nice lunch. That's the way that we sort of approach Christianity. That's sort of what we have in our mind. And Psalms seems to just be the place where that is, is going on. Because for most of us, our view of how we relate to God and our view of how we relate to the church only sort of comes in two registers. It only comes in two categories. We want sort of happy and nice things. And maybe on occasion, our Christianity interacts with our grief. But that's about it. When we think about the range of our human experience, the range of emotions that we experience, the ones that interact with church are happy and nice and maybe grieving. And because we have that sort of deficient view, because we don't approach God with all of who we are, we miss out on all of who he is. Because we all live a life where we experience so much more than happiness and grief. We're not binary. It's not just those two things. Our lives are all over the map. From the joy that comes from, from children, from the joy that comes from a promotion at work, 
But what about the disappointment we feel when things don't go our way? What about the feelings of estrangement that we feel from God? What about the nervousness we feel when we put our our children on the bus for the first time? How do we bring that to God? How does that interact with church? Yes, we know how to express that we have found peace with God, and maybe singing on Sundays is a good outlet for that. But what about when we feel anguish? When our soul feels tormented? How do we interact with God then? What do we do about that? Because our experience is not just happiness or grief. And then if we're sad, God comforts us. And if we're happy, he smiles with us. That is a deficient view of who God is. And the Psalms are a way for us to see past that. The Psalms are a chance for us to move beyond that because the Psalms encapsulate that full range of our actual experience. The Psalms show us that we are real humans in every part and that God wants and is concerned with every part of our lives from those happy and nice emotions to the ones that are less so. And so what happens is we fail to express our full range of emotions and experiences to God. We only talk about to God about the happy things and the griefful things. And in doing so, we remove the possibility of us experiencing and understanding the full range of God's comfort and peace for us. So let's read a psalm together. I'm going to read it out loud. It's going to be on the screen behind me. If you've got a Bible, I'm going to be reading from Psalm 13. I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version. And I'd love it if you could stand with me as we hear this psalm, which is going to talk about maybe some emotions that we don't normally think about when it comes to God and church. A Psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. City Church, this is the word of God written nearly 3,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. Not exactly the psalm we think of when we open the Bible. Not exactly what we expect to find. This psalm breaks down pretty easily into three parts, two verses each. And I thought about this in terms of punctuation. Um, I don't know about you guys, uh, but I completely uh, uh, use an embarrassing amount of punctuation. Like I always have to like throttle myself back from like putting an exclamation point like, hey, thanks for reaching out. Oh, wait, if I do two exclamation points in the first two sentences, that's probably going to make me 
be like a psycho. So like next sentence, like it was nice to hear from you, period. Right. Like the punctuation, like I have a long battle with myself, especially like in emails on how do I punctuate things to seem cheery, but also not seem like somebody who's like unhinged. The, the three sections of this psalm are the question mark section, the exclamation point section and the period. That's what's going on here. And David starts with a series of questions. Four times he asked this, how long? How long, oh Lord? I'm not sure what's going on with everybody this morning. I'm not sure how you're coming in, but here's my guess. A lot of us, if we're honest with God, our prayer today might be how long? How long? David prays it four times. And then he gets brutally honest. He prays, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Already, from the get-go, this does not sound like your prayers, is my guess. This does not sound like my prayers. Because what David is doing is David is calling into question the faithfulness of God. Think about that. That should be a little disconcerting to you. That a psalm, which was part of the Bible, is David openly questioning the faithfulness of God. David says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? He feels forgotten by God. God could do something, but he's not. God could change this. He could fix this, but he isn't. And David asked, how long are you going to forget me? And then he says, not just questioning God's faithfulness, but he says, how long will you hide your face from me? He's questioning, God, are you even there? I went looking for you and I couldn't find you. Your face is is hidden. You are hiding your face from me. God is actively seeming to be running away from David as David is chasing him. And David prays, how long will you forget me forever? How long are you going to hide your face from me? David is being incredibly bold. And then David says, how long will I be in turmoil in my soul all day long? Whatever is going on in David's heart, is that thing that happens to us, that thing that happens when we can't let something go. When all we do is keep turning it over in our mind, keep flipping it over. When we try to think about something else, it just butts right back in. When we try to quiet ourselves, it's what keeps coming up. It's the thing that keeps you up at night. David says, how long do I have to deal with that? And then he says, and not only that, but my enemies, uh, my enemies are exalted over me. David is feeling this intrusive and persistent thought of what is going on, what is happening. So, so for keeping score, so far in Psalm 13, 
David has questioned God's faithfulness. David has accused God of actively withdrawing his presence. David has asked God why I can't stop thinking about this thing. And David has said that his enemies are exalted over him. So it's just that. It's just that. Just those four things. That's a lot. That's a lot. So let's take a breath. If the Psalms are our model for the way that we are to pray and the way that we are to sing, I think there should be a question forming in your mind right now as we think about what David has said, as David has accused God of these things. Do I pray like that? Do you? I have a feeling, I have a feeling that that's not the case. When I look at my prayers, my prayers are very, they're very sanitary. They're very nice. And to be frank, they're very repetitive. And I certainly don't engage with God like whatever David is doing here. David is in anguish. David is absolutely crushed. And he says so. He tells God so. He voices this to God. So why don't we pray like this? Why are our prayers very nice sounding, but not honest like David's? I think one of the reasons why is we aren't allowed to express ourselves to God in this way because we subtly think that any sort of pain or suffering is the result of our badness. It's the result of the things that we've done. We have this wrong-headed idea that suffering is only caused by ourselves. Now, to be sure, sometimes that is the case. Right? If, if you make certain decisions, there are certain consequences that are going to follow, and that's not going to be great for you. But... It's not always the case. Think about Jesus. Jesus never sinned and Jesus suffered. So clearly there's some sort of disconnect in the way that those things put together. And Paul told us that if we try to live in step with the Holy Spirit, if we try to live united with Christ, we will experience difficulty and frustration. So that's coming. So jot that down. Be excited about when that's coming in your life. But when it does, do you talk to God in this way? Because you can. I think another reason we don't pray like this is we, we're scared that if we pray like this, it's exposing some sort of lack of faith. If I, if I cry out like this to God... I, I don't know if he'd listen. I mean, it seems, you know, this is tough. Maybe he wouldn't listen if I was accusing him of these things, if I was questioning these things. That's not true. That's a figment of our imagination that God doesn't want us to pray with this level of emotion. God can take it. In fact, if the Bible's inspired, which it is, and the Holy Spirit is the ultimate author of this passage, which he is. This is God's words 
to us. These are God's instructions. So God's not just allowing for us to pray this way. He's actively encouraging it. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever is a template for our prayers. And the genius of this psalm is how little information it gives us. Did you catch that? Do you know when this happened in David's life? No, you don't. Do you know what sort of story in the Bible this is connected to? No, you don't. Because neither do I. Neither does anyone else. Whatever is happening in here, whatever is crying out in David, how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Is it, is it when he sinned against Bathsheba? I don't know. How about when he lost the child? Maybe. What, what about the time he was on the run from Saul? Could be. Maybe it was on the time when he was on the run from the Philistines. I could see that happening. That's reasonable. Could have been any of these things. And so there's actually something really unique going on here because what's true is we don't know what struggles David was going through, but all of us have different struggles as well. Maybe it's your health or someone else's health. Maybe it's emotional turmoil because of distance. Maybe you've experienced rejection. Whether our pain is self-inflicted because of our sinful choices the results of other people's sinful choices, or none of the above. We can all find ourselves, and we all know what David was feeling here. We've all experienced that. We have all at least probably wanted to ask God, how long? How long? How long? And then David changes his tone. We move from the question marks to the exclamation points. Because David stops questioning God and he actually starts demanding something of God. Again, not the way I pray. In, in the English Standard Version, which I read, it grouped together, consider and answer me. But these are actually separate things. What David is saying to God is, look at me, answer me. It's very staccato. It's very sort of pointed. David says, look at me, God, answer me. And then he adds something to that. He says, oh Lord, my God, he personalizes it. This is happening in the context of relationships. He believed God, believes God can actually do something about this situation. And so he calls to him and says, I want you to answer me. I want you to look at me. Because I think that you can do something about this situation. This is uh, a big part of our Christian hope. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, one of the things that we believe is that God is actually engaged with us in the midst of our pain and suffering. We don't believe that Christianity makes pain and suffering go away. We don't believe that it makes everything fine. That we don't believe that it makes everything even nice. No, but we believe that God, who can change things, is engaged with us through the process. Whether he's changing the situation, or changing us, or a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Whatever the case may be, God, the God who David is crying out to, has the power to change 
things. But David is in the midst of lament. And yet in the midst of lament, he demands an answer of God. Uh, Walter Brueggemann, who is a, a Bible scholar, put it this way. Lament is in and of itself actually an act of hope. Because lament is not just complaint. Lament is not just complaint. It's turning to God in the midst of our pain and asking him to fix it. God, God, answer me. Look at me. Because if you don't, David says, three things are going to happen. He says he's going to die, right? He's going to sleep the sleep of death. He says, my enemies are going to prevail over me, and then my enemies are going to laugh at me. And by implication, God, laugh at you because I've fallen down, because I've been shaken. David questions God, and then David demands something from God. This is a template, church, for our prayers. This looks so radically different from our prayers. I was reminded of this week of a quote from a, an Anglican priest named Tish Warren, and, and she's in, in Pittsburgh, and she said this, better to rage at the creator than to smolder in polite devotion. Let me say that again because it's so good. Better to rage at the creator than to smolder in polite devotion. That is what this psalm is about. That is what's happening here. God isn't interested in our polite devotion. He isn't interested in our nice Christianity and our nice little prayers. God is welcoming us to be real and actually raw with him. God is inviting us to be genuine and honest with him. Think about it this way. You, you all probably have or have had a friend who you could offer your unfiltered self to, who you could say what you were really thinking, who you could sort of say, this is where I'm at. This is what it is. That's who your truest friends are, is the one that you can offer the most honest appraisal about yourself to. God is inviting us to have that sort of relationship with him. Not a relationship filtered through religious assumptions. Not a relationship filtered through nice platitudes. God is inviting us to have an actual, genuine, and honest relationship with us. God doesn't care about being your polite sky friend. It's not what he's interested in. He doesn't want to be your distant, emotionless father. He wants to be the one who can handle questions like, how long? Who can handle demands like, look at me and answer me. Even with exclamation points. And then something happens in this psalm. I don't know if you noticed it when you read it. I paused overly long on purpose. I wasn't like stumbling or forgetting how to read. I paused there because something happens in this psalm. David questions God. David makes demands of God. 
And then David concludes with, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. Um, what? What happens? What happened here? How does David go from quite literally, probably yelling at God to trusting in God's steadfast love? What, what is the half-life on that? How long does it take for that to grow to maturity? What happened that brought that about in David's life? Again, because of the genius of this song, we don't know. Did David walk into the temple and see a visible reminder of what God has done? I don't know. Did David hear a faithful friend, like maybe his friend Nathan, say something to him that reminded him of what God had done for him? Not sure. Did David hear the reading of the scriptures of the, of the Torah of the Old Testament and that's what changed his mind? I don't know. We don't know. We don't know what happened to take David from, from going, how long are you going to forget me? Why won't you answer me? Answer me, look at me To but I will steadfastly trust in the Lord. We don't know what happened. But again, that's because the beauty of this is we can find ourselves and at different times we find ourselves changed and transformed and struck by different things. Think about it this way. Each Sunday, we come to church and each Sunday, God might meet you in another portion of the service. Maybe this week, you really needed that moment of confession and, and that spoke to you. And that was, that was God stepping in and, and answering your where are you questions. Or maybe you needed to hear the reminder of the forgiveness of our sins. Or maybe you needed to see and experience God's grace in a tangible way through communion. Or maybe it was the, the covenant community that we share with one another that changed you. Or maybe it was the reading of God's word. I don't know. But something can strike us because God meets us in this moment and reminds us of his faithfulness. Isn't it interesting that David begins with, how long will you forget me? And then he says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. If you've been around the church or maybe even city church for a long time, um, this is God's covenant faithfulness. Hebrew words, chesed, it's great, it's really interesting and helpful and for the whole Old Testament, but that's, that's what's going on here. And the word that is most often connected to God's covenant faithfulness is remember. David goes from how long will you forget me to I have remembered. We don't know what caused him to remember, but that is the journey that he goes on. And that journey happens in our heart because of the grace of Jesus. And it happens because Jesus has actually been there himself. If the Psalms were the hymn book of the Hebrew people, undoubtedly Jesus sang this song while he was on earth. But not only that, Jesus prayed a prayer that sounded an awful like this in the garden, didn't he? Father, 
If you would take this cup of wrath from me, nevertheless, your will be done. We sang about that in the song just a few minutes ago. And then what does Jesus pray on the cross? How does Jesus address God? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was not unaccustomed to experiencing inner turmoil and physical pain. And in those moments, he did not offer these safe, sanitary, nice prayers. He told God what he was experiencing and feeling. Why have you forsaken me? Can you take this come from me? And if we're going to follow Jesus, guess what? We can and should follow Jesus and David in talking to God in this rich and meaningful way. Because when we do, when we do talk to God in this way, guess what? We get to experience God's answers to those questions. Maybe not immediately. I mean, I don't know how long David prayed how long. Because again, we don't know when or where this Psalm falls in his life. But Jesus says that he'll meet us there. Even when we can't feel his presence, even when we don't know what's happening, he says he will. And part of his presence is that he knows what we are like. He has experienced it. Isaiah says in his prophecy about Jesus that he is a man well acquainted with grief and sorrow. Jesus knows that we are just dust. He knows our frames. He knows that our emotions can be overwhelming. And he doesn't call us to ignore those emotions. He doesn't call us to stuff them down and pretend that nothing happened, to pretend that everything is fine, to pretend that everything is nice. But rather, he wants us to express our emotions to him and all of the messy, tangled naughtiness of them all. There is this trite saying, if you've been around the church, I guarantee you've heard this. Uh, that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And there's like five reasons why I hate that. Um, not even, that, that's another sermon. Um, stick around, I'm sure I'll get there someday. Uh, but when we think about that phrase, I think the nugget that what it's trying to get to is that the primary goal of Christianity is a, a relationship where we experience union with Christ. Because Jesus is a real person with whom we can have a real relationship. And real relationships contain all sorts of different emotional experiences and emotional expressions. And Jesus doesn't want to limit our interaction with him to happy and sappy and clappy songs where we smile and sing all the nice things. No, he wants to have a relationship that he is able to enter into our messiness and invites us to see his faithfulness. In all of our messiness, we get to see his faithfulness. Even when we scream, how long? Even when we demand answers to, from him, wherever and however we find ourselves, let's be reminded that he is a faithful friend, that he shows us unrelenting welcome, that he gives us unparalleled grace. So however you find yourself this morning, let's look to him. Let's look to Jesus who prayed prayers like this and find that he is a friend 
who sticks closer than a brother.